Welcome to the Harbor Church Podcast. Harbor is here to connect people with Jesus and with each other. If you're looking to get connected, you can find more info at harborchurch.com. Now here's this week's message from Pastor Josh. Welcome, welcome to Harbor Church. Man, I'm so glad you guys are here. Uh, man, and uh, if this is your first time, my name is Josh. I'm the lead pastor here. You call me Judd Nelson this weekend, I guess. That's right. Uh, but uh, man, I'm thrilled that you're with us. We're going to have a little bit of fun. We're, as Bobby already mentioned, we are into the second week of a series that we're calling uh, At the Movies. So if you're watching on Facebook right now or YouTube or listening to this on the podcast, um, what we're doing is we're just taking some Hollywood movies and finding some of God's truth in them. Now, that doesn't mean that uh, we're recommending these movies. Actually, The Breakfast Club is not really a good movie. I'll be honest with you, it was hard to find clips to show you that didn't have just tons of swear words in them. Um, so I was like, man, okay, we're gonna, it's going to be a stretch. So I'm not trying to glamorize this movie. We just had an, we had an 80s theme that we wanted to, to, to talk about, and uh, we, we picked some of the most iconic movies from the 80s. And here's the thing, if, um, oh, I'm going to lose my wallet now. Um, if, if Hollywood finds a few truths, then... Uh, that that's that's great. That's not what you know. That's not why we're talking about the movies. We're just talking about the fact that sometimes God shows us truths in a lot of different things. It could be a movie. It could be a book. It could be a song you're listening to. Um, and then how do we correlate those to our lives? The movie Breakfast Club came out in '85, and uh, it was incredibly popular. And it, it takes place in just one location. It's just all. It's just it's just a bunch of kids having detention one Saturday. Uh, at their school in, you know, out, outside Chicago, someplace in Illinois. And they followed these teenagers around, and what the drama that unfolds just became really, really popular. It became one of those, those teen movies that have kind of gone down as a classic. And um, there's a lot, of, a lot of cool stuff there, but two of the characters are actual teenagers. They're, they're actually 16 years old. And then three of them, um, uh, Ali Chidi, um, Judd Nelson, and Emilio Estevez, they're all in their 20s. And in 1985, they played teenagers in Breakfast Club, and then that same year, they played college graduates in St. Elmo's Fire. So they, they ran the spectrum. I was reading, doing research. They actually went undercover at a school to try to like get back into their high school roots, and Judd Nelson like got in trouble for buying beer for some of his friends, like some of those other kids. It was just, it was just this crazy time of them like making all these teen movies, and this movie became really, really popular. And I've had a, several people ask me, like, how are we going to talk about that? Um, you would be surprised because you ask the question, what can a group of teenagers sitting around in detention teach a group of people sitting around in church? And I would challenge you that there's probably more similarities than you would, you would think of. <laughs> Watch this and uh, I think you'll see a few of those similarities. So you have uh, the beginning of this movie starts with these five kids in a detention and you, you heard it. And I watched that scene. I thought, I don't mind those rules. That's kind of a cool church rule. Stay in your seat. Don't talk. Don't fall asleep. Take notes. I mean, those are all, I was like, that's okay. This works. I was like, I get it. But then I started thinking about like, that's actually a lot uh, of, how, uh, that's a lot more in line with how people feel uh, about church and uh, about what it means to kind of be a Christian, to be a believer. It feels almost like a punishment. I talked to some of my friends that are not, they're not believers. And, and some of you that are watching or, or here um, listening to this message, you might be on the fence going, I don't know what I believe about God. 
But I kind of lean that way, where like, if I'm going to do this, it feels like it'll just be a lot of rules and a lot of just, uh, you know, ruining my fun. And that's where a lot of people, that's what a lot of people believe about church. That's what a lot of people believe about becoming a Christian, a follower of Christ, is that it's just going to feel like detention. And I watch a movie with these very different, weird people stuck together for one day, and I thought, man, it's cool how God can take the exact same idea and bring a group of people together and do something really cool in their lives. And now the movie's got a lot of, uh, you know, um, uh, points that they're trying to make that I wouldn't agree with, but I did love that. I did love that part that it's, uh, man, it's, it's special when, when you have that. Now, see, when I talk about church, some of you are mistakenly thinking I'm talking about a location. In the Bible, church was never a building. For the first few centuries, it was illegal to meet and worship Jesus, so they couldn't identify as a building or a place. You would have been advertising, hey, come kill us. We're doing something illegal. So the early churches, they met in people's basements, in catacombs, out in fields. They hid in abandoned buildings. They, it was not about the location. It was about the group of people. See, the word church comes from the word ecclesia, and that means a called-out assembly. That's what a church was. And you might sit there and think, yeah, but you, you know, you're talking about pastoring a church of hundreds. What does, what, what is that? If there's hundreds of people coming together for church, how is that similar to five kids in detention? Well, you got to remember Matthew. It's Matthew chapter 18, verse number 20 says, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I. A lot of churches on this planet are not blessed like we are. There's some churches of just a handful of people gathering together, especially in countries where it's illegal to believe in Jesus. They, they just, in whatever numbers they can get together, and, and whether we're talking about, there's churches, there's churches on the planet that, that run 20, 30, 40, 50,000 members, and then there's churches that run 5, 6, 10 members. It doesn't matter what the size is, what we're, what we're talking about is this, this institution that God designed to, to bring everyone together, to pull people in, and to what purpose? Why would God, why would God invent a, a church why would God come up with that? And, and why do we have such a bad understanding of it? Why is it when I feel like I'm inviting people to church, their face says, I don't want to go to detention? <laughs> it's because they misunderstand. This is, what, this is what the author of Hebrews says church is supposed to be. He says, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. Yeah. How cool of a mission statement is that? My job is to get creative coming up with ways to motivate you to do good acts of love and, and to serve other people. And your job is to get creative, helping encourage me to do that. And if we all do this for one another, what a beautiful organism the church becomes. Now he follows it up in the very next verse and says, let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do. Let's not Take it lightly that we get to join up together as a church. Let's not, let's not forget to actually get out of our house and assemble. See, this is something we do. We take for granted. We're like, I'll go to church on Easter and Christmas. And that'll check the box. And if you're thinking, oh, man, he's just going to preach at me that I have to come to church. It's, this is not about harbor. This is about your connection to what it is that God's designed you for. Short of you being plugged in where God has called you to be plugged in, you're going to be missing out on a huge part of the purpose of your life. 
Let's not neglect meeting together like some people do, but let's encourage one another, especially now as the day of Jesus' return is drawing near. See, here's, here's what you need to understand, man. I think some people misunderstand what's, what's happening with the church. Our church is unique in, in, in that we are blessed. We are in a small percentage of churches that are actively growing. We were the only church I knew of uh, about a year ago. We were the only church I knew of, and I knew hundreds and hundreds of pastors that actually grew numerically during COVID. We grew, grew during COVID. Coming out of COVID, we had more people coming out of COVID than we had going into it. And nobody had that experience. And we have continued to grow ever since. We're only a couple years old, but right now we're running between 650, 700 people on a given weekend. And here's the reason I share that with you, is God is blessing us, and, and that, is not, that is not true of all of the churches being able to grow numerically, being blessed numerically. But what that does... What that means for you and I is that God is doing something in this area on, on, on Cape Cod in Massachusetts. I believe he wants to bring New England to a place where everybody gets a chance. Everybody gets to hear about a, a God that loved them. They, he wants everybody, your neighbors, your coworkers, your family members to get to experience or to at least get the knowledge of a Jesus who died for them to set them free. Now, the, the mechanism that he's decided to use to bring that message to them is you and I. He's, he's decided, I want to use broken, messed up people to reach broken, messed up people, because when I touch their lives, they have a story to share. See, this is, this is why we got to get excited about what God's doing. And, and if we are going to be excited about what God's doing, then we have to step up and realize that there's now a responsibility on us. We don't get to just say, hey, look, we're, we're good. What we got to do is we got to bring what God's doing here at Harbor in Hyannis, and we got to bring it down Cape and up Cape and off Cape, and we've got to start planting some other churches. Yes. We have to get serious about the fact that there are people who, unlike you, won't drive to hear what God has for them. So if they won't come here, then we, and I mean you, have to go there. And that's only going to happen when we say, hey, what, what do I really buy into? What am I really a part of? Is this detention or is this something bigger? And how do we even know, Pastor Josh, that that'll work? If we start, if we're going to go, let's, let's go. Let's, I'm, I'm telling you right now, let's go find some places that we can start some churches. And they don't have to be a church building. This is a, a, a pet store that you're sitting in. I don't care if it's a gym or a movie theater or an abandoned building. I don't care where it is. Let's, I mean, abandoned building would be kind of weird, but I don't know. We'd, it'd be a cool October creepy thing. You know, we do something, but like, let's find some places to just set up and start and start talking about Jesus and bringing what, what has happened here in the last couple of years with lives being changed and, and people stepping away from their addictions and, and marriages being made whole and people coming to find Jesus. Let's bring these kind of stories to the places, to the parts of the Cape that don't have them. Let's get excited about that. He said to a quiet room about saying, hey, I want my neighbors to come and find Jesus. I want something bigger to happen. And how do I know it's going to work? Because Jesus looked at Peter and he said in Matthew 16, 18, I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Hell can't stop what Jesus started. Do you understand that? That's us. There is nothing out there. There is nothing out there that can stop what Jesus is doing. We just have to believe that it may not look the way we want it to look, but we still have a mission to go out and tell. Now, 
one of the reasons that we don't get excited about bringing church to people and 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 when i say bringing church i need you to understand you're the church you are the church the church is not these walls it's it's you walking out of here you come for one day the other seven days you should be out there taking the message out but one of the reasons we we struggle with that is because people misunderstand god they misunderstand the idea of church and on a deeper sense they misunderstand god because they think that god is much like a mean principle and if you have a bad interaction with a mean principle sometimes you end up on the wrong side of that watch this and then uh, we'll talk about it And I think that's the reason that some people feel apprehensive about sharing their faith, about telling their friends about God, is because you, you know you're supposed to, but you've also bought into what culture has said is God. Either God doesn't exist, or if he does exist, he's kind of a jerk. And because we've bought into that, and because we're not studying our word, and because we're not leaning into who it is that, that, that God really is, we're not as bold as we should be. We're not as transparent about our faith. We're not as vocal. We're not shining a bright light in a dark world. We're hiding our light under a bushel being like, I don't want anybody to know because they just won't get it. Yeah, they won't get it, but that's why you are there. Your job is to tell them. Remember what Jesus told his disciples, Acts chapter 1, verse number 8, you will be my witnesses. Your job is to be my witnesses telling people everywhere look what he says this is this is what he says telling people everywhere in jerusalem throughout judea and samaria and the ends of the earth your job is to go tell them tell them what tell them what you've experienced well what have they experienced well first john 4 9 gives us a great insight into that god showed how much he loved us this is what we go tell people we don't betray that like, oh man, it's just a bunch of rules and you know, we try, I mean, you know, just try to be good, show up on a Sunday morning, check a box. See, I, one of the things I was looking, trying to figure out if we could start a campus somewhere else this week, I went and visited a church that has shut down, closed down, and just to see if maybe we could plan a campus there or do something else. We, we either need to move out of here or we need to add another service to make more room or we need to start a campus i think god's going to lead us to do all of those and whatever he leads us to do i just want us to be ready to step into it and so as god moves in our church as he moves in your hearts i want you to be able to say yes and go but some of the reasons that we we don't is because we forget that the message isn't come to detention with me the, the message is we know that god loved us because he, he, he showed that love by sending his one and only son into the world that we might have eternal life through him. And it goes on to say, this is real love. Do you know how badly some of your neighbors need to know what real love is? Do you know how much there's some coworkers that are in your vicinity that are desperate for real, genuine love, and you have what it is, you know where to find it, and you are not telling them? This is real love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. You have an antidote to the poison that some of the people in your life that you are connected to desperately need, and you've clammed up about it. Because culture tells you to be quiet about your faith. God never commanded us to be quiet about our faith. You're going to listen to one or two masters. You have one that tells you what it is you're supposed to do and, and 
why you're supposed to do it. Now, what does it look like when we actually do that? I'm glad you asked. In the early church, when Jesus ascends, shortly after what I just read in Acts 1, Jesus goes back to heaven. He tells his disciples, get to work. Start telling people about me. Start telling people about how much God loved them, enough to die for them. And when we start doing that, it starts setting people free. And when, when, you, when, when people are set free, they begin to go and help other people get free. And saved people start serving people. And people who are set free begin to look for those who aren't set free and say, hey, how can I help them? And see, if you've really had something happen in your life, and this might be a little litmus test for you. If you've really had forgiveness and you know what it means to have your slate wiped clean, you want that for other people. That's not something you hide. You're like, man, this feels so good. I am jacked up and there's a God that still loves me? Woo! Come on now. Like, why wouldn't I share that? Like, no, it's a secret. <laughs> Only I can be set free. Come on. Then you don't really know what that means. This, this is what happens. Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 42. It says, all of the believers, this is early church, this is the very beginning of church. All of the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the sharing in meals, even the Lord's Supper. So they started eating together, and they devoted themselves to prayer. And watch this, a deep sense of awe came over them all. And the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place, and they shared everything that they had. You're talking about a heart change talking about generosity you're talking about how a neighborhood gets turned upside down at one in one day three thousand people came to put their faith in jesus in the middle of jerusalem because these guys got on fire about telling people what they had seen and what they had experienced it says the believers met together in one place shared everything they had and then they sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need they worshiped together at the temple each day some of y'all complain i gotta go to church once a week these guys went every single day because it wasn't detention, because it was something they were excited to do, because it was something that filled them up. He says they met at, at, at temple each day, and then they met in homes for the Lord's Supper. They shared their meals with great joy and generosity. When was the last time you were filled with joy and generosity? The more I look at the world around me, it take, the more wants to steal my joy and create a greed or a, a stinginess in me. I just get scared. I get nervous. I, I, if I start to look at what culture is doing and what's happening in the world, it's anything but joy and generosity. All the while, they were praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day, the Lord added to their fellowship. Every day, he added to that church those who were being saved. Every day, people were getting saved. They weren't just waiting for like, oh, you got to come to church with me. They were actively telling their friends, actively telling their neighbors, actively telling their family members what it meant to, to be set free by a guy named Jesus who died on a cross for them. When they started sharing that, people started getting saved every day that was happening. And it was, it was changing the community. It was changing the landscape. 2,000 years later, we are here talking about it because they got on fire to do something when it was just 12 of them against the whole world. And yet we, we have to stop and recognize the truth here. Come on. Because, like, listen, I, I, I get it. I'm a weird pastor, but I, I do have a tendency to call out the elephant in the room. <laughs> what happens when I start spending time with people? especially if I have a meal with them. Do you see how many meals they were having? Like every day they're having meals together. You ever eat with somebody? 
You get to know them real fast. Sometimes when you eat meals with people, you find out some stuff about them you wish you didn't know. Watch this clip, and then we'll talk about it. So here's the, the obvious truth of that, as many of you already were thinking about like this whole church thing that I'm, I'm pitching to you. That's cool, Pastor, but church people are weird. <laughs> I know, and that's why you fit in very well. <laughs> but that's, there, there is this awkwardness to it, is there not? Like, it's... It's weird. People are, people are weird. The hardest part about ministry is people. The best part about ministry is people. But we all know what it's like to kind of get around people and, and to let people see us, let alone to see them. That's why uh, a lot of you will never stick around after church. Now, if you grew up in like an old school fundamentalist, maybe a Catholic background or something like that, church got over, you stood up, you walked out. There was no hangout. There was no talk to people. There was no lobby. There was no cereal bar. There was no coffee out in the patio. It was get to your car as fast as you can so you don't have to talk to anyone. <laughs> and some of you still do that. You're like, I haven't even said amen and you're leaving. We're going to like sing a song together. You're like, no, I'm out. I'm good. I catch you in the parking lot. You're like, yep, yep, yep. Don't look at them. It's fine. That's fine. But you're just missing. You're missing out on what it means to do life with other people. It's the, it's the fact that there are other human beings going through life at the same time you are in the same community you are hopefully trying to take some of the same steps you're trying to take that's what's going to sharpen you that's what's going to make that's what's going to make you better that's why matthew says in chapter 7 verse number 12 do to others what you would like them to do to you this is the the essence of all that is taught in the law and the prophets do to others as you would have them do unto you golden rule You're much like these teenagers. You and I, we act more like teenagers than we do adults when it comes to our spiritual life. Either I'm too cool or I think they're too cool for me, but either way, we don't mix. Either I'm looking down on them because I, oh, they're weird or I'm feeling insecure because they're going to think I'm weird. And sometimes some of you do both. You're like, I got a group that I'm cooler than and a group that I'm, I'm afraid to be around. Whatever. But both of those attitudes are wrong. That's not what God's called us to, and that's, that's why the church is supposed to be a different kind of organism than anything that's else that's ever existed. For the whole law can be, this is Galatians chapter 5, verse 14, the whole law can be summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. But if you are always biting and devouring one another, watch out, beware of destroying one another. It seems like there's a universal agenda to get us to destroy one another right now. Every single thing that comes out is a dividing point. It's like you have to be on one side or the other, and if that person's not on, that, on the same side as you, hate them. And we willingly do it. We're like, oh, it's politics. I'll hate anybody over there. Okay, now you've just cut off half the people. Then after it's politics, it's gender or sexuality or it's money or it's age or it's race, and you've just split your group in half four more times. If you keep doing that, there isn't a person on the planet that will agree with you on everything. Heck, some of you don't agree with yourself tonight, some of the things you thought this morning. <laughs> and if you keep following this idea, you destroy one another. And God said, that's not what the church is supposed to be. Even if the world is that way, that's not what people who are supposed to have surrendered to God are supposed to look like. That's not how it's supposed to be. 
And people tell me this all the time. They're like, well, it's people. Because people, are, people suck. People are weird. <laughs> you know, the church is full, filled with hypocrites. Yep. That is true. And yet God says he still loves them and he still loves you. And if you claim to be a follower of Christ, God's command is for you to be part of a church. And yet I hear people all the time, I love God, Pastor, don't get me wrong, I love God, love me some Jesus, love him, love him, BFFs. But I don't go to church because church is weird and church is bad and church wants my money or church has got all these rules or church is too much on my time. You got a thousand excuses. Here is the truth. You cannot be actively growing in your walk with God and denying your place in a local church. You can't do it. You, I beat people all the time. Oh, I love me some Jesus. You do not love Jesus that much if you are not plugged into his bride. There is no way that you can claim to be an, an adamant follower of Jesus. People tell me, oh, no, my son's good. Oh, my dad's oh, they're, they're good. They love, oh, I know they love Jesus. Now, where do they go to church? Well, they don't go to church, but I know they love Jesus. No, they don't. Pastor, that's really mean of you. Hear me out. Hear me out. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. Husbands, this means you love your wives just like Christ loved the church. Why? Because over and over again, the Bible says that the church is Christ's bride. The way a husband is supposed to care for his wife, he learns how to do that by looking at how Jesus cares for his bride, the church. He gave up his life for his bride. To make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word, he did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. And instead, she will be holy and without fault. In the end, when Jesus returns in the book of Revelation, it says this. They are talking about what's going to take place. And in chapter 19, verse 7, it says, Let us be glad and rejoice and let us give honor to him for the time has come for the wedding feast of the Lamb. The Lamb is Jesus. And his bride has prepared herself. See, the bride is the church, the the assembling of believers coming together is Jesus's bride. You cannot tell me that you love Jesus but hate his bride. There ain't no dude who's a good husband is going to put up with a best friend who hates his wife. Now, you may not like my wife, and I'll, I'll try to tolerate you, but there's no way you and I are going to be close, really genuinely close, if you, don't, if you don't understand that me and my wife are one. Don't talk trash on God's bride and then tell me how good of friends you are with God. Now, don't misunderstand me. Church is rough, and there's a lot of bad churches out there that are not the way that God has, has intended them to be. That is man's fault, not God's fault. That is why I will tell you religion has never saved anybody. Religion is man-made rules of us trying to reach up to God. Real Christianity is God reaching down to us. So I don't believe that like, oh, if we have pews or chairs or stained glasses or if your pastor wears a robe or a backwards collar or Indiana Jones outfit or whatever, none of that matters. Let's be honest with you, it doesn't matter. I grew up in a church, we, wear, we wore full suits every single Sunday, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. We, wear suit, we wore a suit and tie all the time. You know what? Didn't get me one bonus point with God. And I don't mind that people do it. I, I have a lot of family and friends that still do it. I think that's great. It doesn't matter. Because it doesn't matter. But what, what is important is that I understand that I don't get to just get the pick and be like, oh, I don't like church because they don't do what I like. Okay. 
If you think that this is me trying to get you to get plugged into Harbor, you're misunderstanding. If you're, and I know we get a lot of visitors from out of town, especially in the summer, a lot of people watch these. If you've got a local church that you're a part of, this is not about being a part of Harbor. This is about being plugged into a local church that preaches Jesus Christ in the Bible. All right? Find that, get plugged in there, be an active part of that. And don't tell me that it's because of the people that you can't be a part of it. Because when we add you to that church, it just added one more reason for other people not to go to that church. <laughs> and that's not right for them any more than it is right for you. Now, if you've been hurt by a church, I'm not trying to make light of that. Because like I said, there's some very evil people that have abused the, the position of, of the church and, and the design of the church. And once again, that's not God. That's the brokenness of man, the sin that he died to cleanse us from. So don't let one bad church or a bad experience with a pastor or a priest or some busybody at a church that hurt your feelings, don't let that pull you away from the very mechanism that God has designed to get you to grow and, 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 and experience more of his, his plan for your life. If I do that, what's going to happen? Well, if you actually do start coming to church, you get plugged into a church, you're going to find out that, that that scene that we saw about the big, mean principle, that's not God. I'm going to tell you, I was in my late 30s. I just now turned 40 a couple months ago, so don't be looking at me like I'm like, look at all. But what I'm trying to say is in the last couple of years, it's only been the last couple of years of my life that I've even begun to challenge, really challenge the fact, I, I mean, I'm, I've been a pastor, I've been in ministry for 20 years. And I, oh, there's a part of me from my upbringing that always felt like if I didn't, didn't do everything in the way I was supposed to, God was going to bring some, some kind of hammer down on me. Like I just had to live up to it. That's just, that was ingrained in me. Don't screw up. Don't screw up. Do it right. And, and so even though I loved God and even though I loved being a pastor, there was a part of me that's like, ah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm afraid to, to mess up as if though I'm just one step away from getting another week on my detention, you know? Uh, one of the books that really helped me, and I don't do a lot of book recommendations, but I'll recommend this one. Dane Ortland wrote Gentle and Lowly. It talks about the heart of God. If you're looking, if you're, if you, if you're like me, struggle a little bit with understanding, is God like an overbearing tyrant? Is he just waiting to crush me? I think you missed the heart of Jesus. And I know I have for a long time, but I had to get plugged into a church that was healthy and I had to surround myself with people that, that were growing in their walk with God to, to really to begin to challenge what's the right way to look at God. And, and, and is God angry with me or has God, God got something better for me? And, and it took a church to help me. And I'm a pastor of a church, but I needed other people in my life to help me see that, that maybe my view of God wasn't right. And maybe your view of God isn't right. And that what it's going to require is it's going to require letting people in. It's going to require letting people get to know you. There's a scene in this, in this movie where they do just that. Watch this, and then we'll, we'll talk about it. If you didn't hear it, she goes, do you want to see what's in my bag? And they go, no. <laughs> no. See, this is the thing. What I've realized is that there is a, a vulnerability that comes with being a part of a church. It's one of the reasons that we won't stick around and get to know people. It's one of the reasons that we won't go to a connect group or become a member or go deeper, join a, a team, serve in the ministry, because I don't want people to get to know me. Because if they get to know me, they're going to learn I'm messed up. Or I'm going to learn that they're messed up. 
I'm going to tell you what. I'm just going to spoil it for you right now. We are all dumpster fires. All of us. Every single one of us. If you spend enough time with me, you're going to be like, I don't like Pastor Josh. He sucks. Yeah. My wife has refused to let me play games with any of you. She's like, you can't. She can't. I'm barely allowed to be on the softball team, okay? Because if you dig deep enough, you'll find out that there ain't a single one of us that don't have issues. If that bursts your bubble, you and I can have a private talk. But that's not what it's about. See, if you go to a church or if you're a part of a club where you have to have everything together, what that does is that puts pressure on you to be fake and to hide your problems. See, that's where Jesus went to the the outcast. He went and hung out with the sinners. He went and sat next to the prostitutes. He went and visited the lepers, the ones that couldn't hide their sin anymore. And he's like, now that it's out, let's talk about dealing with it. The people that he struggled with were the Pharisees who were like, I don't have any sin. He's like, okay, I can't do anything for you because you think that you're all good. It's not about like being afraid of of putting something out there. It's not, it's not about the fact that, yeah, if I get to know people, I'm gonna, they're going to find out I messed up. It's about recognizing as you get to know the body that God has called you to be a part of, recognizing that he's got a role for you to play. Look at the imagery that the Bible uses for us to talk about this. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse number 12. The human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. And then in Romans 12, it says it this way, verse four, uh, verses 4 through 5. Just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body, a.k.a. the church. We are many parts of one body and we all belong to each other. What that's saying is God has designed you to fit into a mechanism. And if this is where you live, then I'm praying that Harbor Church would be the mechanism that he's called you to be a part of. And if it's not, and you're looking for something that's different with a pastor who's a little less weird, I know a lot of great guys on the Cape. I'm happy to help you get get a church to get plugged into that you can be a part of. Or if you live outside of this area and you got one to go back to, by all means, get plugged in. Don't just attend. Don't just be a consumer. That's immature believism. When you really understand what Jesus has told you in the Bible, you don't just show up and go, entertain me for a few minutes and make me feel good. You go, I don't want to be a consumer. I want to be a contributor. Once you have been a recipient of the gospel, your job is to find a way to be a better repeater of the gospel. Do you understand? You, you consume, yes, but then you learn to contribute and give back. You're a part of a body. Imagine any one of your body parts right now. Pick one, your elbow, your shin, a finger, a nose. Imagine if it just in this moment says, I don't feel like contributing to the body anymore. And you're like, (laughs) you stub your toe and some of you lose your mind for a half hour because of how, how frustrating that is. Can you imagine if your toe's just like, no, I don't even wanna be a part of the body anymore. I'm just done. Some of you that are older are like, that's not funny. I already have. <laughs> I get it. I get it. But that, like, if, you, if, you've had a bad, if you've had a bad experience with a body part, a torn muscle, a bone that's broken, then you know how the body doesn't function as well when all of the pieces are not doing what they're supposed to do. Now, time out. I believe God has for you to be a contributing member of a church, probably this church, And what we're doing, we're doing on about 20% of the body parts working. We're running 700 people, but I got 100 people serving others. That means there's 600 people on a given weekend that are just sitting there like, 
What would happen to Cape Cod and Massachusetts and New England if we had 100% of the body going, hey, however God's, however God's created me, I'm here to be a part of it. However God's created me, I'm here to be part of it. I may be the shin bone and I wish I was a rib or a nose or you fill in the blank, whatever, whatever you're struggling with. You may not be all that you want to be, but God has made you uniquely you to fill a role, to reach people. There are people right now that you can reach with the message of Jesus that I will never be able to reach. And if you sit there and go, this is good, but I just hope, I hope my brother gets to hear it, pastor. I hope he, I'll send him the message or I'll, I'll pray for him. You might be the very thing that God has put in their life to bring them to Jesus, and you're pawning it off because you don't want to play the role that God has designed you to play. You're a part of a body if you will be a part of a body, and you need to function in your role. But a lot of us, we sit back and we say, ah, that's for somebody else. And the average church is functioning at about 20% or less of its given capacity. But if everybody here began to pray and to serve and to love and to give and to share like we are called to do, Cape Cod would explode overnight. It would. People would be going like, whatever she's got, I want a piece of what she's got. Whatever happened in his life, that guy couldn't stand him. And he's, I'm talking about you. I couldn't stand him yesterday, but something happened to him. And now I'm curious about what changed his life. If you would let God do that, there's a few of you that I love watching that have got something, you've got that spirit in you and you just, you, you just can, can connect with people. That's a gift. Some of you have a brain that works in a way that you understand things that other people don't understand. That's a gift. God, use that for God's glory. Some of you are so extroverted, you will not shut the freak up. <laughs> have you ever tried using that for Jesus? I'm just saying, imagine if you were a contributing part of the body versus just a sit there for an hour and then leave and go do whatever you else you want for the other six days. Why? You see what I'm saying? If that happens, if that happens, we will be able to be, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to my last clip and I'm going to end on this. If we're able so to, to do what it is that God's called us to do, then we will, we will be able to impact the lives of the people around us in very noticeable ways, very tangible ways. Watch this last clip, I call it the makeover, and uh, then we'll close, okay? I love it. I'm not sure if that's the very first, I think maybe Greece had a makeover scene, you know, but that was like the beginning of the high school makeover, the person that looked completely different kind of thing, and now it happens in like every movie. But what I love in that is that the rich girl got to help the crazy girl and I had to cut out a ton of scenes because it's, it just wasn't appropriate for church. They have all these, all these uh, conversations where they get to realize that they're not as different as they thought they were. And the end result is they start helping each other with some things. And I loved that scene because what she did is she took, she took what she had. She just happened to bring her makeup with her and she said, hey, let me do something nice for you. And when her friend, her new friend, began to experience that, it changed her. And I started thinking through how it is that God has designed us inside the church to work. He's called us to, to have an impact on one another. Don't at me about makeovers, okay? Because it's not my point here. 
Although some of us could use them. Um, I didn't say a single person's name. If you were offended, that's on you. You're feeling that. Let me remind you of what it is that, that God said about his church. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 10. Because of God's grace to me, this is Paul talking to the church at Corinth. I laid a foundation like an expert builder. He says, I laid the foundation for the church. And now others are building on it. Other pastors were coming and preaching and the church was growing. But whoever is going to build on this foundation has to be very careful. If we're going to build the church, Harbor, if we're going to build more churches, we have to be very careful about what is happening, what's happening in the foundation of these churches. He says, no one can lay any foundation other than what we've already laid. That's Jesus Christ. Has to be the cornerstone of the church. Anyone who builds on a foundation may use a variety of materials, and he names some good ones, gold, silver, jewels. And then he switches, he says, or they could use cheap stuff, and they could be lazy builders. They could be the kind of church person who throws up wood, hay, stubble, straw. You get to pick how much you want to be a part of building the kingdom of God, is what he's saying here. And you can do whatever you want. You can put your best foot in, and say, I want to be a part of something bigger than myself. Or you can sit there and go, nah, I mean, I'm just going to phone it in. He says, on the judgment day, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. The fire will show if a person's work has any value. If the work survives, now out of that list, what would survive the fire? The wood, the hay, and the straw? Or the gold and the silver and the jewels? He says, if, if it survives, that builder will receive a reward. But if the work is burned up, the builder will suffer great loss. The builder will be saved. He's not saying you don't lose heaven. You don't lose your salvation just because you were a lazy church member. But he's saying, hey, you'll lose your reward. You're going to stand before God embarrassed. He says, the builder will be saved, but it'll be like somebody barely escaping through the wall of flames. You're not going to have anything to show with your life. God's given you. I don't know how much time God's given you left. But if you're breathing and you're still alive, the fact that you're on this side of the dirt mean that, means that God's got a plan for your life. For some of you, it's because he's trying to call you to him for the very first time. He's trying to call you to a place of salvation where you can actually find forgiveness for all the jacked up stupid things you've done. Where you can find forgiveness for your sin. He's calling you to that. And some of you need to experience salvation today, right now, for the very first time. Some of you would say, I've already done that, Pastor. He's waiting patiently for you to get on the team, to actually start really being a builder that's laying up a, like building on a, on a good foundation. He says, do you realize that all of you together are the temple of God and that the spirit of God lives in you? That's all of us. If we have Jesus, we have the spirit of God. God will destroy anyone who destroys the temple. That's basically saying, hey, when the Antichrist comes to end this, God's got us. Remember, the gates of hell can't stop us. God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. Every boy or girl in this room, every man or woman, I don't care how old or how young, I don't care how new this is, I don't care if this is the very first time you've ever been in church in your life. God has a plan for you. The plan starts with him forgiving you taking away every sin that you've ever committed, everything you've ever done wrong. He wants to wipe that clean. And then he wants to use you to impact other people's lives. That's what you were made for. 
If you're here and you're a doctor, if you're here and you're a teacher, if you're here and you have some other job, you're like, no, 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 I, I work down at the mill. No, no, no. Down at the mill is how God has allowed you to pay for some of your bills. What you are is a missionary for God down at the mill and all the rest of the time. You just happen to pay your bills from the mill. There's a difference. What God designed you for is the eternal purpose that your life is supposed to play. I want you guys to stand up, if you would, because I want to I just close in prayer, but I want to remind you of why we get to do all of this. As your pastor, I'm not completely sure what God's plan is next. There are so many things happening behind the scenes right now. Growth, lives being changed, people wanting to to bring more people to harbor, but Hyannis is too far for them. So I, I really believe that God's going to allow us to start planting some other churches. But that means that there's going to have to be more people stepping up saying, I'll do whatever it takes to bring this to somebody else. If you won't do it here, how are we ever going to take it on the road? Step up. And if you think, oh, this is all about serving a church. No, no, it's about preparing your heart so that if you can serve here where it's easy, you'll serve the other six days of the week where it's a little bit harder. The choice is yours how much you're going to step up. And, and I get it. We just came out of a pandemic. Everything around us seems to be like it's, it's going to hell in a handbasket and your motivation's kind of getting knocked around. I want to remind you, and I want to close with this, Galatians 6, 9. Let's not get tired of doing what is good. Don't get tired of doing good. At just the right time, you're going to reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Satan wants nothing more than the people of Harbor Church, the Christians on Cape Cod. He wants nothing more than for you to give up right now. He wants you to give up on your marriage. He wants you to give up on your parents. He wants you to give up on your friends. He wants you to give up on being a light in your workplace. He wants you to give up on that person that you can't stand. Because if you give up, that light goes away. And without the light, the darkness grows. And yet, I'm here to tell you that Jesus has a plan for you. And his plan is for you to be more like him and less like you. So how are you going to do that? How are you going to respond today? He says, don't give up. Therefore, when we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially those in the family of faith. If you can't do good to the people who joined you by driving out to a pet store <laughs> to worship together and, and, and learn, a little, if you can't be good to those people, how are you ever going to be good to the people that, that absolutely don't believe this? You have to get in practice. You have to start disciplining yourself to say, God, use me. Even if it's awkward. Even if the person next to you is kind of weird. Even if it's not what you want. I don't want to hear one more person tell me, I don't really want to teach in the kids' class. Don't tell me that. It's not about what you want. It's about what, what brings God glory. Don't tell me that you don't want to be nice to your neighbor. It's not about what you want, Jonah. It's about saying, God, how do you want to use me? Whatever it is, I'll do it. I think for some of you, that heart of surrender has to start right now in this moment by just letting God be the God of your life. Let him be in control of your heart. And for the rest of you, it means saying, God, if I have to actually just step up and do it, 
I'm going to stop treating church like detention. I'm going to start treating it like something I get to do, not have to do. Can I pray over you? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank you for who you are and what you're doing. God, we thank you for man, just how much you love us. Thank you for the story of a God who would leave heaven and come down and die in our place. Lord, so often we're ashamed to tell people about you, but yet you said it's when we go public, when we get bold, when we start to live our faith out loud, that's when people take notice. That's when lives get changed. And so, God, I know in this room, every single one of us have friends or family, schoolmates or co-workers or neighbors. God, we have a circle of influence that you can leverage for your good if we would just let you work through us. So God, thank you for what you've already blessed Harbor with. And let us not be content to just say, oh, well, we feel good about it. Let us get excited about reaching places that haven't been reached. God, let us be burdened for the people who haven't ever heard about you. The people who don't know that there's a remedy for what's killing them right now. God, use us. If you never move us, if we never plant a church, if we never grow out of here, would you use us? right now every day in this moment to bring people to you to shine a light in the lives of the people around us in the darkness that is consuming the people we love god would you help us would you empower us use us to help the people we love the people that we care so much about we have so many friends and family members struggling through addictions through sadness through dep depression through fear through anger god there's so many of our friends and family that desperately need you would you use us lord as we learn to say yes to you as we learn to to give to you what it is you've already blessed us with as we give back to you our time and our talent and our treasure and our testimony we are trusting you god to do what you said you would do you will fight against hell and the gates won't be able to stop you god we believe that, and we, God, we need to hold to that in this moment. So we pray this, we claim this, we believe this in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. If you'd like to support the ministries of Harbor as we bring the hope of Jesus to our community and around the world, you can visit harborchurch.com give or text any amount to 84321. Thanks for listening. See you next week.